got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You know, we got past that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. How about those? How about those Chiefs, baby? Welcome into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Chiefs, they defeat the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. We're going to be talking about that quite a bit on the show today. Uh, Kent Swanson from the Kansas City Sports Network will join us coming up in about uh, 35 minutes from now, and we'll talk more in the 4 o'clock hour about that as well. As uh, the Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers, they're back-to-back. Patrick Mahomes, MVP. Chiefs continue to uh, silence the doubters, really, and uh, people that keep betting against Mahomes. I just ask you, why? RCST today is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Also got a lot of KU basketball talk because it's a, it's a big weekend overall just beyond the Chiefs. And for KU, it's a quick turnaround as well as they'll be taking on Texas Tech tonight. We're going to preview that coming up later on in the show in the 5 o'clock hour. But off the top here, let's dive into what happened on Saturday with KU taking on Baylor College Game Day in town. And... The day started with a bang, really, for College Game Day. You had the College Game Day girl who hit the half-court shot on the first try. Uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, it was things were looking up. But then you had some chaos on Saturday leading up to the game on Saturday afternoon. Kevin McCuller goes on College Game Day and suggests that he might not be able to play. Then uh, it turns out that he that he ends up out. It ends up being out with that uh, bone bruise injury. And then Jamari McDowell is sick, and he's unable to go. KU down to seven scholarship players. They're playing Baylor. Baylor coming in down Fieldhouse looking for a win. Johnny Furphy was apparently sick earlier in the week as well uh, for KU. And so things were already looking somewhat grim uh, <laughs> even before the ball tipped off. But then, of course, Allen Fieldhouse, Bill Self, they did their things. And Kansas, in the end, hangs on to beat Baylor 64-61. to uh, down Fieldhouse, Kansas moves to 19 and five. They are now seven and four uh, in the Big 12 Conference as well. They stay just one game back of Houston, as Houston also won on Saturday. So, uh, but really, that that's kind of I don't want to bury the lead here. Bill Self was not pleased after the game. In fact, he said it post game. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to his audio later on in the show. Uh, he said that this is the least happy he's ever been after a win. And why would he say that? Well. Things, even though Kansas got the win, things in the last minute or so were really not very pretty uh, for KU. And it starts with the Nick Timberlake experience, roller coaster, whatever you want to call it, uh, who ended up getting the start in place of Kevin McCuller over Marco Jackson as well. And overall, for the first 38 minutes, Timberlake was not really that bad. He finished three of eight from the floor, just two of seven from three, but there's two threes I think were, you know, just the fact that he was able to hit one, you know, the crowd really liked that. 
he had a big he had a big block on defense as well in the second half. He has a dunk in transition. You know, you're overall you're probably feeling okay. Timberlake, you know, did did stepped up and did okay overall. And then the last minute of the game happens where things unraveled for Kansas, but they did hang on. So first, KU's got the ball, and Timberlake is looking to throw to Dickinson and just throws it away, throws it out of bounds. 14 seconds left with KU up by three. On the ensuing defensive possession, he leaves a corner shooter wide open to tie the game. Luckily, I guess, somehow, luckily, the shot misses from Jaden Nunn. About nine seconds left. Timberlake then gets the rebound and gets fouled. 64-61, KU up, and there's now less than less than 10 seconds left. And Timberlake misses the front end. Womp womp. And then again, from Jacoby Walter, Baylor gets another pretty, really solid look at a three to tie it again. And luckily they miss. So... That is what Bill Self was very upset about. He was certainly not thrilled about uh, the way Nick Timberlake finished that game for KU. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, we'll, we're going to get to that audio later on in the show, but Bill Self, in a lot of ways, if you if you didn't know what happened in the game, you would have thought that KU lost <laughs> in some situations with the way that Bill was, was, was talking. So the Nick Timberlake roller coaster, it goes up, it goes down, it goes sideways, it goes forwards, backwards, every, it's... It's chaos. It's it's insane. <laughs> Bill said uh, about his last minute of the game, he said, bless his heart, uh, post-game with Greg Gurley. But, yeah, just a, a, a rough way to end the game for uh, Timberlake, even though KU ended up getting the win. So, And the win, and a win obviously, that was very significant, right? You, KU has to defend home court the rest of the way, even if they if they want a chance to win, uh, to win the Big 12. So... You go back to the first half of this game between KU and Baylor. Man, KJ Adams was absolutely phenomenal for the entire game. Uh, he played a fantastic game. Six of seven from the floor, 13 points, three steals, a couple of assists, some key rebounds, and uh, he really stepped up and had a, a what I thought a fan, was a fantastic game uh, from KJ Adams. And KU also got a great game from DeWan Harris in 36 minutes. Hit a couple threes. Finished with 14 points, five assists. He stepped up as well. And that was kind of one of my big takeaways is that no Kevin McCuller, but this KU team still has some dogs on it. They still have some guys that are going to step up and make plays. KJ Adams and Dewan Harris. Hunter Dickinson, conversely, he was pretty solid early, but then missed a lot of easy shots uh, at the rim, I thought as the game progressed. In fact, it was one of his worst efficiency games of the season. 7 of 19 from the floor. He did hit 1-3 after he'd gone 1 for his last 17, uh, dating back to the Oklahoma game. And then he, he, he made the 1, and I guess that gave him the, uh, you know, I, 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 I strive to have the level of confidence that Hunter Dickinson has after he made that first 3. Because then he comes right back down and shoots 2 more pretty quickly after and doesn't make either one of them. Uh, 7 rebounds and 15 points total for, for Dickinson. Who uh, again? I I think if you ask him, he'd probably say that was one of his one of his worst games uh, from an efficiency standpoint. He missed a lot of easy shots at the rim, and that's kind of been a trend for KU. They missed a lot of easy shots at the rim against Kansas State as well. So you hope that that doesn't continue. 
you know, in one game, it's, uh, well, kind of bad luck. Two games, uh, three games, it maybe starts to become a trend. So we'll see how KU can, can do at the rim uh, against Texas Tech tonight. And in the first half, the game really kind of switched up on. KU was off to a great start. They were up 25-15. to 15, And the game kind of flipped a little bit, and Baylor got back in it off of uh, a, a somewhat questionable foul on a three-pointer from the corner against Jacoby Walter. Uh, from El Marco, where, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, going back and looking at it again, I I think it probably was a foul. I don't know. I mean, I know, I think El Marco was arguing that Walter kicked out, which maybe he did a little bit, but it seemed, I don't know, it was a little bit questionable. Uh, and then a somewhat quick technical foul uh, is given to Bill Self as well off that play. And so KU goes from being up 10 to now giving up a giving up five free throws to Jacoby Walter. He hits all five and makes it 25-20, and suddenly the game changed quite a bit, I think, at that moment. So that, that was kind of one of the moments in the first half that really stuck out to me was uh, that that sequence there because, the, first of all, the technical foul, I I never really saw a good angle of what exactly. I mean, he did like the poo-poo motion where he's like, oh, whatever, you know. Uh, but I didn't – I've seen a lot of coaches do and say a lot worse things and not get teed up, so – that was a bit questionable, uh, but that really kind of helped Baylor get back in the game. But Kansas' defense was really strong all game long. This is a Baylor team that, uh, like we talked about on Friday, top five efficiency offense in in the country, and Kansas really locked them down. And they did it obviously without Kevin McCuller, who was you know either their first or second best defender between him and Dewan Harris. But yeah, twenty one turnovers for Baylor total, eleven turnovers in the first half. They were pretty sloppy, uh, really, on offense. And, and it was a combination of, of Baylor being sloppy, but KU's defense definitely locked them down as well. And in the second half, it didn't get much better for Baylor. And the other thing is, these were live ball steals. from, Or these were live ball steals turnovers from KU. KU had 17 steals. 17 in the, in the game. Of Baylor's 21 total turnovers. Johnny Furphy had six. KJ Adams had three. And Marco Jackson actually was credited with four off the bench. So a really, really nice defensive effort. And, a, and it was great to see other guys step up as well, like like Furphy. Step up as well. And uh, and really, really limit Baylor's offense in this game. Uh, because Baylor, like I said, coming in, one of the top offenses in the country, and you hold them to 8 of 26 from three, just 30%, 41% from the floor. Uh, I also talked about what scared me the most about Baylor coming into this game was not necessarily the three-point shooting, but what was their offensive rebounding. Well, Baylor pretty much dominated on the glass. They were plus 17 overall, and they had 10 offensive rebounds. So the offensive rebounding for Baylor really, really did help keep them in the game quite a bit. It was one of the things that, that did allow them to kind of hang around. And that's that's kind of really the story of this game is this is – and this is – also become a little bit of a theme this season where KU has had some games where you feel like they are outplaying their opponent. You feel like they are playing really well and you look up and somehow it's like a one possession game or it's a you know, six point, seven point game when it feels like it should be a lot more. And that's kind of what it felt like. And when the whole time I was, as I was watching this game in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, against a team like Baylor, that is really concerning because they can get hot from three at any like a team that can get off many at any from three at any moment like Baylor can you definitely if you have a chance to kind of push the lead out to to a bigger number you need to do that uh, because if they get hot it can completely change the complexion of the game 
But instead, KU just, they couldn't really quite land a real knockout blow. And, and you know, you go back to previous KU teams, especially at Allen Fieldhouse, that was kind of a, the calling card for, for KU a lot of years was the patented KU run where they not they wouldn't let a team hang around. They would they would take an eight-point lead and make it 15 very quickly, and then suddenly the game would be out of reach. And this team just hasn't quite been able to do that. And I just wonder if it has to do with the fact that, obviously, you know, in this game, even even more specifically, in this game, really playing seven guys, do, do they just not have the energy to hit that extra gear for a few minutes to really deliver a knockout blow? Uh, so that that's kind of my concern. Is uh, they, you know, Baylor was able to hang around quite a bit, and that was really kind of summed up in a in a sequence in the second half that uh, I was that I was really concerned about that happening that did happen was uh, so KJ goes down and makes a, a, a tough layup to put Baylor up 60 to 40, uh, to put KU up 60 to 49 over Baylor. And then at the other end, Baylor gets an offensive rebound, which leads to a Jacoby Walter three. Timberlake quickly misses a three, and then Baylor hits another three. And that was a sequence that, that I was really concerned might happen, and it did at that point in the game. So you go from being up 11 to being up five in the span of about 30 seconds of game time. And from that point on, it got sweaty. So, yeah, I, luckily Baylor, they weren't able to hit enough shots, right? I mean, Baylor probably comes away from this game very frustrated because I don't think they played particularly well, and yet they got two really good looks at a chance to tie the game and force overtime. And given the fact that KU was playing with seven guys, you don't feel great about overtime, especially when, at the time, Hunter Dickinson had four fouls, El Marco had three fouls, so... Playing an extra five minutes could have been really, really tough for KU to find a way to to claw a victory out. But so I think Baylor's walking away from this game just really frustrated. And you know my response is that sucks, Scott Drew. That sucks, uh, Clown Drew. Right. But but yeah. So the the lack of a knockout punch ability from from KU was uh, like I said, it's 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 a come become a bit of a trend at home, and it's a little concerning. Uh, and I think where where it becomes concerning going forward for the rest of the season is I'm thinking to the NCAA tournament. You know, you'd like to be able to, you know, if you're a two seed or whatever, or a three seed, maybe even if you're KU, especially in your first round matchup, and even maybe in your second round matchup, you'd like to be in a situation where you can get up by a bigger margin and maybe not have to worry about playing the starters all out for 40 minutes, right? You're playing a 15 seed, you're playing a 14 seed, or maybe if you do end up getting a one seed somehow, you're playing a 16 seed. You want to be able to get up by, you know, eight to 10 or whatever, and then really, really push the throttle down and make it, make it, make it 16, make it 20, you know, really extend that lead and and then uh, be able to kind of allow your starters to not have to play so much. So that's where I look. And especially in that second, like you think even to like a second round game, that's what you'd really like to do. So, so uh, I, I don't know. It is a bit concerning. And then, of course, uh, the other big part of this game late was uh, the Dewan, Dewan Harris uh, rolling his ankle late in the game, uh, which is very, very concerning. Obviously, no Kevin McCuller, as I said. You're playing seven players. And then uh, your guy that that is literally the lifeblood of the offense because he has the ball in his hands 90% of the time, rolls his ankle. And it did not look that great. He had to be helped out the floor. Uh, the ESPN broadcast showed him kind of like jogging a little bit, uh, kind of in the in the in the hallway area to try to see if he could see if he could go. Uh, and in the time that he was out of the game, KU didn't score again. It was 62. KU had 62 points. 
uh, when Dewan left and they, they didn't score again. In fact, the only points they scored again after Dewan Harris rolled his ankle was Dewan coming in and hitting a floater. <laughs> so, and interestingly enough, something that's definitely noteworthy was KJ Adams became the primary ball handler or the guy that was kind of running the running the floor, it seemed like, with Dewan out. And KJ actually talked about that, which we're going to get to uh, KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson here uh, in just a few minutes here. They they had, they had a chance to meet with the media after the game and he was asked about that and said that it was part of the part of the game plan, right? And it makes sense because this season when Dewan Harris hasn't been handling the ball, it's been Kevin McCuller. Well, with no Kevin McCuller, it does seem like KU thought that process through and was prepared for a situation in which Dewan and Kevin were both unable to be primary ball handlers. And obviously with only seven players, you knew that you were going to have to get Dewan out of the game at some point. So it seemed like they decided, hey, KJ Adams, you're you're gonna become that guy. And he did okay, I guess. I mean, like I said, KU didn't score again after Dwan rolled his ankles. So that that should tell you something. But and then uh Hunter Dickinson, again, I, I just really struggled after the first tennis minutes of the game. He was just not very good. And Eve Misi, the the, uh, the freshman from Baylor, had a, ended up having a great game for Baylor. Uh he finished with twenty one points on six of nine from the floor with uh, with eight rebounds. So he kind of got the better of Hunter Dickinson, truly, uh, especially in the second half. So, And, of course, Misi, by the way, who is a 55% free throw shooter coming into this game, goes 9 of 12 from the free throw line. <laughs> so uh, that was a bit that was a bit frustrating to watch. And there was even a – it was even late in the game with like a minute left. He, he steps up like he's Steph Curry and makes two with a minute left back-to-back, uh, which was a bit frust- – which was really annoying to watch. When it was – it was a five-point game with a minute left – Dickinson fouls Misi and he goes to the line and hits two free throws like it's nothing. And it's like that that dude's supposed to be a fifty five percent free throw shooter. He's not supposed to be able to do that that easily. So but I think the bottom line I think the bottom line for this game is you you defended home court. I think that's the bottom line. You defended home court, you fought through adversity, with through injuries, no Kevin no Kevin McCuller. But at the end of the day, and I understand, you know, in the heat, in the heat of the moment after the game, Bill Self was was upset, and uh, you know, said that this was the said that this was the least happy he'd been after a win. But these these are the types of games that I think Bill Self really really enjoys, right? It was a, you were playing a top offense and you made it a ugly, muddy game and you got the win, except for the part where things kind of unraveled late and you almost gave it away, or you almost certainly gave away overtime at least, but. I don't know. I wonder if if Bill Self feels differently now or even yesterday than he did immediately following the game because overall this was still a huge win. I mean, you were not 100%. You were without Kevin McCuller. Baylor didn't have Langston Love either, so I get that. He was one of their best three-point shooters in, in conference play. But you were without Kevin McCuller. DeWan Harris gets injured. It wasn't really that great of a game from Hunter Dickinson overall, certainly efficiency-wise. But DeWan did enough early in the game. KJ Adams was fantastic. Johnny Furphy had a great game. And you you got enough, I guess, from Parker Brown and El Marco Jackson. Although El Marco Jackson didn't attempt a shot in 21 minutes, and I don't know, we'll we'll see about that one. But but you hung on, you got the win, you stayed within one game of Houston at the top of the Big 12. But I guess the question is, you did all that, but at what cost? Because if Dewan Harris is unable to go, or if he's limited tonight against Texas Tech, it's you you feel like it's going to be pretty difficult. If you're down both those guys, so I don't know. Buckle up, I guess, for tonight with uh, KU going to Texas Tech, going to Lubbock. So 
We will be previewing that KU-Texas Tech game, by the way, in Lubbock, coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour. Kent Swanson of the Kansas City Sports Network and the KC Laboratory Podcast is going to join the show in 15 minutes to talk about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. We'll have more Chiefs talk in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, also more KU basketball talk in the 4 o'clock hour. Get to our takeaways, biggest takeaways from this KU-Baylor game. And then, like I said, we'll preview KU and Texas Tech coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. KU and Texas Tech, that game tonight. You'll be able to hear it right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. 6.30 p.m. pregame with tip-off at 8 o'clock on Big Monday between KU and Texas Tech. Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams met with the media after the game against Baylor. We'll get to that audio next. You're listening to Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. The Kansas City Chiefs are back-to-back Super Bowl champions. We'll get more into the game coming up in the 4 o'clock hour with Matt Llewellyn. Right now, I'm joined by Kent Swanson of the Kansas City Sports Network and the KC Laboratory Podcast. Uh, Kent, I don't even know where to start with this game, man. I guess first off, just what was your immediate reaction to uh, to the Chiefs going back-to-back? I mean, immediate reaction was shock, stunned. Um, honestly, it didn't feel real as it was happening. It didn't really process for me until... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later. And even then it was just, you know, it was still so surface level. And I don't know if I'm still there yet. I don't know if I've completely processed this thing. And it's been, you know, 15 hours. Uh, Just, it's a surreal feeling. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't entirely feel real yet, but uh, slowly come along. What a game. What a, what a, you know, what a moment, what a game. I think we'll look back at this as, you know, a very legendary performance. It just doesn't feel like that right now. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, right? Because I think, you know, even Chiefs fans grapple with this idea of, well, you know, we have Mahomes, we should never count ourselves out. But then you go back and like, you know, the Christmas Day game against the Raiders and it's like, man, do, do these guys do these guys really have it, you know? And then uh, sure enough, they, they show up and, and perform very well. So couldn't agree more. And, and on top of that, you know, think about this. Of course, it had to be MVS. And of course, it had to be me Cole on Corndog, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it, this whole season's just been redemption arcs for a lot of players, right? And it's it's McCole Hardman coming back, and he fumbles in the end zone against the Bills, and makes things interesting there. And you know, MVS, you know, his documented issues, and maybe you can even look at, you know, one of my you know counterparts on the KC Laboratory mentioned, you know, Jawan Taylor played out of his mind too, and he's a guy that's been much maligned for a large majority of this season for the penalties that he got, you know, kind of picked on a little bit and he just goes out and shuts Nick Bosa down right so it's just like there's so many little mini redemption stories in this team and uh it's just it's such a special moment and you you, kind of knew like if the Chiefs were able to slog through some of this stuff if the Chiefs were able you know to kind of um figure things out it was going to be a pretty remarkable story just and and it's some pretty remarkable redemption arcs and that's what you saw out of this team yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because I've had the thought of, you know, the writing's kind of been on the wall for the Chiefs, right? I mean, they haven't said it, but over the course of the season, it's been kind of, hey, you know, we're a January team. We're going to flip the switch. You know, that's that's when we show up. And, and, and sure enough, they did do that, right? I mean, there were so many questions uh, coming into January, and sure enough, they were able to find that switch. Yeah, it's in, you know, I think it's really hard for people on the outside looking in to kind of subscribe to some of those kind of statements, right? Because we're not in the building – but it, it's kind of, 
I, I think that's really the, the, the secret sauce that we don't see on the outside. You talked about the Raiders game, and that game was disgusting. And it was not to the standards of the Kansas City Chiefs that we've seen for the longest time, and it wound up being a wake-up call for that organization. You kind of hear some of the teams citing that. But, you know, it, it, it also just kind of speaks to that group of players not wavering, that group of players maintaining belief in each other. And we look at it as, okay, maybe they're just a little bit, I don't know if naive is not the right word, but maybe, you know, like that, that's just an intangible thing we can't quantify on the outside looking in. You know, there's just no way that they think they can just turn it on. But they did. They sent it, they, they focused up. They kind of, you know, worked through some of their issues. They simplified some things. They put the best players on the field and kind of, you know, limited players that weren't producing and found a way to find a winning football formula and just played their best football at the right time. Yeah, I think to that end, you know, with Patrick Mahomes specifically, so much conversation and discourse about him. Do, do you think maybe this is a sign that his leadership is possibly a little bit underrated, the fact that he was kind of helping to, to, to get everybody going here? Oh, yeah, un, un, undoubtedly. And he's got it. You know, you, you kind of heard, and I, I don't think anybody listening to this needs to know that, but you heard Andy Reid kind of say, like, he was there when Tom Brady handed the keys to Patrick Mahomes a couple years ago where he kind of said, this is your league now. I mean, I think Tom identified what we've seen kind of exemplified over the last couple of years is the kind of leadership he has, the kind of, you know, just toughness. The He's made of the right things to help find winning football, and I think Tom identified that very quickly. And, you know, there's a standard that's been set in that building. There's an expectation that, you know, even though there's, you know, we talk about like the the confidence, the unwaveringness, the stick togetherness, and that's some of the, one of the things that defines this team despite all the adversity. But there's also a high standard set in that, in that organization, and it starts with him. And he's a, I think he's a way better leader than anybody's ever really going to understand or or be able to quantify. Yeah, and then when you look at the Chiefs' defense, of course, that in, in a lot of ways really was the only constant right throughout the season with with their level of play. Uh, when you look at this game specifically against against the Niners, what did the Chiefs do, you think, to slow down Christian McCaffrey? 3.6 yards per carry for him in this game. I think his lowest of the season. What, what, what did you see from the Chiefs' defense that allowed them to have success against uh, this, this Niners' offense? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of different things, right? And, you know, like, they, they stuck to some of the fronts that they've been able to kind of work with. You know, they, they created and presented some five-man surfaces, adding a linebacker to the front and, and allowing some, you know, some of their linebackers to make some plays and kind of, you know, do that. Like that was one of the things I thought Leo Chanel played a really, really, really good game. Um, you saw them mix some mix some guys up and add to the math of the of the of the front that they're having to play against. You saw Jerry Sneed making some big plays in that regard, you know, really being a disruptive player. It's a team effort. You know, stopping the run's a mindset, stopping the team run you know, the the run is, you know, um it's it's a team effort and some mentality and this this team just signed up for it you know they subscribed they bought in they committed to doing it as a team and kind of just showed the strength of what this this defense has been the whole year it's just you know they're they're made of the right things and they continue to just rise to the occasion and and that was what it was yeah of course with Steve Spagnolo leading leading the way right uh, i mean how fortunate do you think the chiefs are to have 
a guy like Steve Spagnolo who seems pretty comfortable as a, as a, as a coordinator, right? I mean, you know, we haven't really heard any rumblings of him possibly looking to leave or anything like that, or even teams looking to hire him as a head coach. How fortunate do you think the Chiefs are to have a guy like that uh, kind of spearheading their defense? Well, and I'll just say this. I don't think – it's not that Steve Spagnuolo didn't want a, another head coaching job. It's just that teams haven't decided that they want to give him a shot. You know, he's on the wrong side of – 60 and he didn't things didn't work out so great you know where he was in uh in st louis um but that that's the chief's gain that is absolutely the chief's gain because he is such a huge factor in this team being able to have the kind of success that they've had to this point um he's he's one of the best defensive coordinators of all time there's it's inarguable at this point he is one of the greatest defensive coordinators in the history of the national football league he deserves to be a hall of famer someday and I think he called a great game. You know, I think there were some timely blitzes. There were some timely attacks on the protections of the Niners. They kind of had a pretty good beat on them. You know, it wasn't, you know, perfect because, you know, the Niners are a good football team. That was a really good football team that the Chiefs just beat. And, uh, but Steve Spagnuolo played, you know, had, he had a phenomenal, he had a phenomenal game plan and his players executed, his players bought in. And all that effort, and we talked about stopping the run and that kind of mentality, it speaks to Steve Spagnuolo too and the kind of leadership he has. You touched on the fact that, hey, you know, the Niners, you're right, that's a, an excellent football team, right? So some of the best offensive weapons in the league. And when you look at the Chiefs' run through to the Super Bowl, you think about the Bills, think about the Ravens. You know, the Bills very hot. The Ravens were the best team in the regular season. And yet the Chiefs overcame all of that, right? So you, you can't even necessarily take away, well, you know, you got to play to the arrowhead, whatever, your home field advantage throughout. No, I mean, the Chiefs, they went out and earned this one, right? Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's what makes this one so fun. Like, there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of storylines that we'll be talking about over the entire offseason. But this is a fun one because, for multiple reasons. One being, yeah, this wasn't this was the road less traveled. This was a very difficult road that they went up against, that they had to, to endure to try to win this one. Playing teams on the road, playing elite offenses. I think they played four of the best six offenses in football on their way to this game. You know, or in, in, into this game. So, you know, you do that. Mahomes kind of helps kill, you know, the, the, the legacies of other quarterbacks not letting them get an opportunity in this game. You know, I think the winner of the Super Bowl was coming out of the AFC. You know, I think the Ravens would have beat the Niners. I think the Bills would have beat the, the Niners, too. And Mahomes just tamped down the legacies of those guys. There's so many things in, about this game that – we're going to unpack, but it just means a lot, right? This is just a special, special season, and how they did it is is why it's going to be so special. Yeah, and you mentioned that, like, maybe in the, you know in five years or so, or six or seven years, you know, down the road, do you think this one? Do you think this one might still be the best? You know, maybe if the Chiefs go out and win a couple more Super Bowls and really solidify their dynasty of the 2020s, but do you think this one still might stick out a little bit just because of of kind of what you talked about there? Absolutely. Um, I think the farther away we get from this game, we're going to, you know, really appreciate it because, you know, I think, I think, and again, like we have a lot of time to process, you know, everything that's just happened, but just the fact that, you know, three is really hard to overcome if you're Joe Burrow, if you're, you know, Lamar Jackson, if you're Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen's the second best quarterback in football, and the Chiefs have just continually destroyed his opportunities to, to, to even be in a position to win a ring. And so I think we're going to look at this one as kind of the nail in the coffin of anyone in this modern era stepping to Mahomes in this team's legacy. And now it moves on to chasing immortality 
the Joe Montanas, the Tom Brady's. And I, I think that's, you know, what this is the defining moment for that. It's, it's no longer staying, you know, in this decade. It's staying over the course of football. Is is we're, you know, it's it's a chase and a pursuit to be the greatest player of all time. And uh, I think this is the one that kind of, kind of ushers that transition into that being the chase, rather than simply, you know, modern football. Yeah, and people were saying, well, you're wasting a prime year of Mahomes. Well, I guess if a Super Bowl trophy is what's wasting a prime year of Mahomes, uh, sign me up. And and you think about Mahomes specifically, and you know people people obviously doubted, people outside really doubted and and questioned. Uh, is it time to maybe stop doing that? You know, I was trying to think back. Obviously, I was I was a little bit younger, and maybe you could speak to this. Uh, you know, I was a little bit longer younger when the Patriots dynasty started, but I, I don't know. Was was Tom Brady doubted? I feel like as as much as maybe Mahomes has been, especially in these last uh, couple years. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a different era with social media and like yeah. the conversations are just different. It's kind of tricky to, to, to really put a pulse on that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's a good question. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I, I'm not trying to compare Tom to Mahomes too much right now, but like, I'm sure there was some doubt because I mean, Tom wasn't as good as Mahomes has been in some of these games here. I mean, Mahomes, has has done more for his team to, to, to get to this point than, than Tom did in those seasons, right? So, you know, there's some early success, but there was a lot of reasons for that early success. And, and not to diminish the, the greatness of a lot of the players on this team, but, you know, I think Mahomes, the way he's gone about it is more impressive than what Tom did early on in his career. Is, is there a guy from this game against the Niners that – you think maybe going forward people aren't going to be talking so much about his performance, but somebody that you felt like really, really did make an impact and, and help Kansas City win this win this Super Bowl? Yeah, you're talking about stopping the run and slowing down Christian McCaffrey. Leo Chanel was outstanding. I mean, he was really disruptive in the run game. He made some really big plays. I think he was the one that forced the fumble. Um, he was unbelievable. I thought he played his best game. He only played like 36% of the snaps. It's kind of common with, with the linebacker rotations. But uh, he played absolutely – I thought he played out of his mind. That's back-to-back Super Bowls. He's played extremely well. Um, just a really you know, just a really physical, disruptive player. And he's one of those guys that you know, kind of really makes that thing tick when it's you know, going against the run. He's going to you – know, if you watch some of the clips, he deserves a ton of credit for what he did. And, of course, Chiefs Super Bowl champions. We're talking with Kent Swanson of the KC Laboratory Podcast on the Kansas City Sports Network. Kent, as you know, I mean, listen, this, this, is, how, this is how things work, right? It's a 24-7 media cycle. Chiefs win the Super Bowl, but, you know, you start to look forward to next season. You start to look forward and start to see how to piece this thing together for uh, the Chiefs possibly going for a three-peat. You know, you look at some of the questions they have with guys uh, just that could come could come back or could not come back next season. Uh, you know, where do you feel on like a guy like MVS or or Kadarius Tony or you know, obviously on the defense you've got Chris Jones, Drew Tranquil, Adarius Sneed. Uh, how confident are you, do you feel that some of those guys are going to be coming back or possibly not with the team next season? I think there's going to be some turnover. Um, I think it's going to be hard to keep Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, I Chris Jones, Adarius Sneed situation. I don't think both of them are back. I would be kind of surprised if both of them were back. Um, there's going to be some turnover on this team. Um, but the good news is. They've got a lot of flexibility in the cap space. Um, I think you're going to see them make some impact veteran free agent signings to try to, you know, rep- not, you're not going to replace Chris Jones, but you're going to try to, you know, replace him in the aggregate um, with a bunch of different guys. So um, I think there's going to be some turnover, but I actually think there's a chance this roster winds up being better. 
than this year. Actually, I, I would I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a better football team in 2024 than the one we saw in 2023. Um, obviously, you know, losing the impact of Chris Jones very likely, but I think they'll be able to kind of improve this roster around that. And I mean, that back seven's really good, and a lot of that back seven's going to be back. Yeah, and, and you think about you know a guy like Drew Tranquil who was on a one year deal. I mean, do you think other teams are going to try to pick him up and pay him more? Or do you think the Chiefs could hang on to him? I think you know there's a chance they'll be able to hang on to a guy like Drew Tranquil. Seems like Drew Tranquil liked being here, um, and you know he's kind of relegated to a rotational role. So I think he's probably worth playing a more full time role. Honestly, I mean you saw what he did when Nick Bolton was out. Um, but if the Chiefs are able to hold on to him, that'd be huge. I think he's, um, I think he's a really strong role player, and I think he could actually do more if he was if he was asked to. I mean, he did, and the Chiefs didn't miss a beat when Drew Tranquil was on the field when when Nick Bolton was out with injury. So yeah. he's one of those guys I'd love to see this team try to sign, especially since I think Willie Gay is probably going to be gone. I, I hate to even really bring it up, but I mean, I know he's talked about how he he wants to keep going, but Travis Kelsey. I mean, do you, are you are you confident that he's that he's back? Yes. I mean, he kind of alluded to it last night. He wants to come back and chase a three-peat. I think he'd be crazy not to. Um, he's a guy that I genuinely believe wants to just play until the wheels fall off. And Obviously, there's a lot of life stuff that he's dealing with right now. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I think he'll be back. And, you know, the Chiefs need to continue to find ways to help support him and keep him around as long as possible because – it's going to be really hard to replace the chemistry that he and Mahomes have. That's one of the things that has been making this thing so special. But, I mean, hey, you saw he ran the fastest he's run in six years on that underneath route that he had uh, in the Super Bowl. Kind of put the Chiefs in a really good position to kick that field goal. So, uh, I mean, I, I think he's still got some left in the tank. You mentioned Travis Kelsey talking about chasing a three-peat. Right, hey, right now, I mean, I know we're fresh off of this, this one, but right now how confident are you that the Chiefs could go out and three-peat? I mean, look what they just did with this team. This was the worst team in the Mahomes era. And what what happened? <laughs> They're back on top. I I fully expect this team to be back where they were. Um, this team knows how to win. This team has been through a lot of adversity. Winning a Super Bowl in this year should be terrifying for the NFL. They let the Chiefs cement their legacy in a down year, a year that they had to learn a lot and go through a lot of adversity Good luck slowing that team down. The DNA of this team just strengthened even farther, and that's one of those galvanizing moments that, you know, kind of defines a, defines a dynasty. And I don't think they're done. I think I think they're gonna, you know, continue to stack up titles. And don't get me wrong, it's hard, but the Chiefs just made it harder on themselves this year. And look where they're at. He is Ken Swanson of the KC Laboratory podcast on the Kansas City Sports Network. Be sure to check him out. They're live every Monday and Thursday, and I'm sure they'll be talking tonight a lot about a lot more about this uh, game. Kent, appreciate your time as always. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on today. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, that was Kent Swanson of the Kansas City Sports Network and the KC Laboratory podcast. Be sure to check them out over on the Kansas City Sports Network. And uh, thanks so much to Kent for hopping on. One hour down here on the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Chiefs coming up next here in the next segment with Matt Llewellyn. He's going to be coming in to, to join me to talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl and how things went as well for the Chiefs as they are 
back-to-back Super Bowl champions. That's pretty sweet. Coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour, we also got to get to our KU Texas Tech preview because through all the craziness of the weekend with KU Baylor and on top of that with uh, with the Chiefs, KU's got another game coming up tonight against Texas Tech. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN with a 6.30 pregame, 8 o'clock tip for KU and Texas Tech. So we're going to dive more into that in the 5 o'clock hour. Got to hear from Bill Self as well. Also going to get to our biggest positives and negatives of the KU-Baylor game later on in the 4 o'clock hour. That's all coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. I'm Nick Springer, and we'll get to some more KU basketball talk coming up later on this hour. Also got to preview KU and Texas Tech. We'll get to that coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. And also we'll hear from Bill Self. He had some interesting things to say postgame after the Baylor win uh, against, uh, against Baylor on Saturday afternoon. So we'll get to that later on in the show. But, of course, we just got done having a conversation with Kent Swanson about uh, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Wanted to dive a little bit more into it, obviously. And I've got a special guest with me in studio, Matt Llewellyn. Matt, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for letting me let me come on the show today. Yep. And it's well, seriously, just for full disclosure, I begged you <laughs> if, to come on today because I was so I've just been so fired up all day. And of course, I'm fired up about the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, but so you had a you had a, a a conversation earlier, and you asked a question about Tom Brady. It's like, and both how old are you? How old are you guys? Uh, I just I just turned 26. You turned 26. How so, old is the guy? How old is Ken Swanson? Uh, Ken's probably in his. Oh, gosh, mid to late thirties, maybe. I don't. I don't. Is I don't he really? know exactly. Okay, so you asked a question about about Brady. Well, let me tell you, the thing about it is, so I obviously clearly am much older than you guys, <laughs> so I have a little bit bigger perspective. When when Brady won his first Super Bowl, but the city of Boston was up in arms. They were uh, pissed off at Belichick because they started Brady because yeah. Drew Bledsoe had been, I mean, he was the God in, in, in Boston and they get, they understood it. They were fine that Brady was starting, but boy, they were nervous. And, and then, the, and then Brady won and they were great. Everybody loved it. It was awesome. But there was still a big question what to do with, with Drew Bledsoe. There, I would say that, I mean, and I have a lot of friends in Boston, so I kind of get it. But they loved Drew Bledsoe, yeah, and they really, you know, it was. Split. Oh yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was probably I mean, 50, 50 split of the fans in Boston of what they wanted to do. But regardless, we've got the goat right now, the current <laughs> goat. So I guess he's not the current goat. The best yeah. player in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes, and there was no question about that. Yeah, uh, no question about him getting the MVP. You know, the first the, his first year, there was some question of whether or not. D. Williams should have gotten it. Yeah, no question. Mahomes should have gotten it last night, but really, it was no question at the to the end. Before that, prior to that, I would say Harrison Butker was absolutely in the running for MVP. Yeah, but, well, but we a actually talked things- about that last week about you know if the Chiefs were to win a game, and yeah, it's like 
eighteen to ten or something, or eighteen to thirteen. Yeah, and and Butker makes you know five or six field goals. Should should a kicker win the MVP? Uh, there is no question in my mind. I mean, he was just nails. I mean, and he but. Longest field goal in civil history with that 57 yard, by the way. Yes, and he broke the record that was just set. Yeah, by, by Moody about two yeah. drives before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, and and so in my mind, it's like that that right there. That was the shortest lived record in NFL history. <laughs> Certainly in Super Bowl history, it had to be right. You would think, yeah. I mean, it was I broken mean, an know, hour late, less yeah. or less than an hour later. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. How awesome! And I mean, that was it was just incredible. But and and it. It was pretty close to getting blocked. Uh, I mean, that was a line drive. <laughs> it was a high snap. I yeah. mean, there were a lot of things wrong with that with that field goal. Yeah, Tom, Tommy Townsend should probably get more credit than he does amen. For, for making that play. Absolutely. Townsend was nails. That was another potential MVP voter uh, <laughs> pick in my DraftKings, but I did not pick that. I did pick Harrison Butker because he was 300 to 1 mm-hmm. in DraftKings, and I did pick him. I, actually, I had nine MVP picks. <laughs> Well, hopefully Mahomes was one of them. Right? He, no, Mahomes wasn't because ah. it's like it only you know it's yeah no I know it's it's there's not great value I guess it, that's that was the whole point that was the whole point you know these were small Butker actually was my most that I put any money on and that was <laughs> ten bucks I did put ten bucks on uh, Travis Kelsey though because I thought yeah. I thought le- realistically Kelsey was pro- was potentially could get it but he just you know he just wasn't targeted enough yeah well that's obviously the, the the fascinating thing about the game is travis kelsey right patch mahomes and it ends up being mvs who scores the first touchdown yeah and then miko hardman. hardman on a play that they ran previously corn dog to win it so crazy insane yeah. yeah yeah absolutely insane the things that transpired in that game and and yeah. and had it gone a little different had 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 we uh stalled on that drive on the on the ot drive and and butker would have had to kick another field goal which Andy Reid would have done. I mean, th- th- there's and and Patrick Mahomes would have gotten behind it. I mean, if, yeah. had, had the circumstance been, the likelihood of Harrison Butker getting MVP would have just grown. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy. Anyway, it yeah. all ended up great. Incredible ending to the game. Love yeah. it when a game goes to OT. I mean, especially when we're never really you don't ever really feel like we're the dominant team. I mean. Yeah. No, this was definitely a game that you feel like could have gone other. I mean, especially early, it, it felt like the Niners were having a lot of success, every, uh, especially on the ground. They got that fumble though early on the drive, and the Chiefs were able to recover it. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, they were. It was definitely a struggle. It was definitely a struggle. It was, and really, I mean, every all the talk everywhere, and has been the case today too. Uh, you know, it was incredible that we were only down by a, a, a score at yeah. halftime. I mean, it was incredible because we certainly were getting seemed like we were getting beat, yeah, up and down the field. And then for Patrick Mahomes to end up with three hundred and thirty, how many three hundred thirty three yards, three thirty three did have the one interception, but yeah. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, great Kelsey, game. Kelsey, of course, he didn't score, but he did have nine catches for ninety three yards, so he right. still was uh, made his impact felt. And that that was kind of something that I've talked about uh, quite a bit. Is you know the writing was kind of on the wall, Matt, all, all season long. The Chiefs they weren't saying it directly, but the way they were speaking and everything, it was the sense of, hey, you know what? We're a January team. We're going to show up in January. And it's one thing to say that, right? And if you don't do it, then it's like, okay, what, what are you doing here, right? You, 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 you screwed around in the regular season. You said you were going to show up, and you didn't. Well, these boys showed up. They showed up in January. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very much like Bill Self. I mean, yeah. Bill Self, he, he creates he, – the RKU basketball team 
is made for March. That's what he does. That's what he yeah. outwardly says. Yep, you got that. It's it's classic, man. Every February, you have that big push for KU. We'll, we'll see if they can do it this season. But in February, it feels like they always end up playing their best basketball leading straight into March. And that's kind of the same case here with the Chiefs, right? I mean, think about that Christmas Day game against the Raiders. Oh, terrible. An abomination. I mean, horrible. Ruined my Christmas. Oh, it was not good. <laughs> and then for them to go into January uh, and, and really flip the switch, truly. And Travis Kelsey comes back. You know, he, he rests himself in that last game against the Chargers to get ready for the playoffs, which I think looking back was probably more significant than maybe people realize, right, in terms of him getting his legs under him and getting ready for the playoffs. And then well, yeah. the Chiefs, they steamroll the Dolphins. They take care of business against the Bills, Ravens, and the Niners, right? I mean, those are those are the three three of the best teams in the league down the stretch with the Bills, the, the Ravens, and the Niners. The Chiefs go on the road and beat two of them and then, of course, take, take down the Niners as well. So that's kind of the other part of this I think is fascinating is Nobody can sit back and, and try to poke holes in this Super Bowl run for the Chiefs. It's not, oh, you got to play at Arrowhead for the seventh straight year. Oh, you know, you were at home, blah, 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 whatever. You got X, Y, and Z. You got breaks. No. This was on the road against some of the best teams in the league, and the Chiefs went out, and they punched their opponents in the mouth, and they got to the Super Bowl, and they hung on, and they got the win. Absolutely legit. Absolutely 100% legit. And, yeah. and all, I mean, and to me, no question, Mahomes is absolutely MVP. Um, but really, this speaks to, to the coaching of Andy Reid and Spagnola. For sure. I mean, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, our defense, though, was nails all year long. Our defense Yeah, they were probably awesome. the only constant the Chiefs had this season. Right. They, being able to win on the defense. And I would say, you know, the thing about it is, is, is – it much has been made about us this this team as a whole not being nearly as good as year as years past, which is absolutely correct. However, really, our defense is by far and away this is the best defense we've ever had. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I mean, or until since uh, Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, which, I mean, of course, with Mahomes, I know that you don't know <laughs> anything about that. But the best defense <clears throat> with Mahomes, certainly a- in the last you know seven years. Yes, and yeah. I and I think all of the writing is on the wall. To, you know, we're gonna keep, we'll keep Sneed or uh, Chris Jones. Yep. One of them we're gonna keep. Yep. I would love for us to be able to pay Chris Jones a little money and and keep him on this team. But you know, I don't know what that number is. We have a little room in the salary cap. I'd I'd love to keep him a. I'd, I'd love to keep Chris Jones. That's who I'd really love to keep. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, it's so tough, you know, because sports obviously is a business, but this this Chiefs team over the last three, four, five years has really felt like a family, right? And you don't, right. you don't, with those that core of guys, Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, those types of players. You, you're right. You don't want you don't want to see them leave, right? You yeah. don't want to see them. You know, you well, don't want to think about them in a different jersey. We ab- absolutely do. It does feel like a family. You you do. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk out there about worrying about. About what's going on with the with Travis and Taylor, uh, and and how that has affected Travis. Well, boy, I tell you, he has some fire last night. Yeah. I mean, but th- this wide receiver core—they're breaking up. <laughs> this, yeah, that family's yeah. that family's going to split <laughs> apart because yeah, this mean, wide receiver core is going to look a lot different seems, last year. It seems pretty clear that the Chiefs have have kind of punted on Kadarius Tony. Yeah, uh, MVS. You know, uh, I, listen, great redemption story for him, right? And yeah. I think Chiefs fans certainly uh, thank him for for what he's done and and and, and, and the Mikul. playoffs. Mikul. And Nicole too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, huh. but you're right. I mean, the the likelihood of MVS being on this team plus Tony and even someone like Sky Moore seems 
pretty low yeah, at this it's point. Not gonna I mean, it seems like the Chiefs are going to be going out and either continuing to draft more receivers to build around Rashi Rice or maybe go out and make a free agent signing uh, as well in the wide receiver room. And and that that's the other interesting thing is, you know, Brett Veach, he's, oh, he's been so good, right? Brilliant. I mean, drafting, brilliant. And then on top of that, you know, Jawan Taylor ends up having a fantastic game in the Super Bowl dealing with Nick Bosa. You know, that was a guy that I think there was a lot of gripes about the way he's played. And obviously his tenure with the Chiefs got off to kind of a bad start with the whole Chris Collinsworth fiasco, pointing out how he's false starting. And then, you know, that led to all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, he ended up he ended up having a great game in the Super Bowl. Great game. Yeah. And I, and I think he was, you know, you asked a question earlier, who who is underrated? Yeah. And, uh, and, and will be thought of more highly in years, you know, after Taylor, further analysis Taylor of this certain, game. Certainly could be a guy. I think it's Taylor, man. Yeah. I think it's Taylor. I, I uh, His play, it was just awesome. I, as mm-hmm. far as I can recall, I don't. I, I mean, certainly Bosa was not the influence that everybody thought he was going to be. But yeah, I think I, he had uh, just a half a sack in the game. Half a sack, but he did not seem to be pressuring. Mahomes didn't seem to be pressured that much. He, you know, he he was able to get away from the pressure. He was able to. Uh, I mean, they they gave him the time that he needed. Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> until the second half, it wasn't it wasn't a lot, and they were getting they were. They were not making things happen in the first half, but man, that- yeah. But it seems fitting that you know, in a season with so many redemption stories, kind of like what we talked about, that sort of a redemption for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, struggling in the first half, and then in the second half, they uh, they once again flip the switch and, and and find a way to pull it out. So I just I just wonder, you know, Mahomes has been an underdog throughout these playoffs. Is is are people? Do you think people are finally done with that? You think they're finally done doubting Mahomes? Done making him no. an underdog? They are are yes. If they're not, they should be. Uh, because I mean, how do you count this? How do you ever count this guy out? How does Vegas ever make Pat Mahomes an underdog in game ever again? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do underdog three games in a row. I mean, yep. how do how do you do that? And I mean, it's but again it's on, on paper, it's it was probably on yes. paper you would think they should be an underdog. I mean, yeah, yeah. You go back to the to the Ravens game. The Ravens have been the best team in the regular season all season long. Even the Niners, you know, I mean, in the playoffs, the Niners hadn't been as impressive, but they'd been one of the best teams. So uh, it's you, you almost on one hand, you almost you can't really blame them per se, but on the other side, you watch the game, and you think, man, that guy, number fifteen in red, he's not losing. He's not going to lose. So a good buddy of mine is the uh, the VP of the uh, the direct, managing director of the Las Vegas Superbook at the at the Westgate, uh, which is biggest sports book in the world and just mm. an incredible incredible place but anyway a buddy of mine who i went to college with and so I, i'm not texting him today but i will text <laughs> him later this week and ask him just i want to talk to him about that stuff and hopefully he <laughs> responds he probably <laughs> will but he's he has to be guarded about what he says about all that about the ins and outs of yeah. of what happens but yeah um but I want to find out how how they ended up doing and 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 wh- how they I, I don't understand how they kept that line. But it's all I mean it's all about how much money's coming in. Mm. That's what it's all about. Yeah, people. That's kind of a common misconception. People think that betting lines or lines in games is a reflection of what they like sports books or whatever think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not really the case, right? It's the lines are more about trying to drive people to bet on the game. So it's I, not it's not when you see you know Chiefs being three point underdogs 
that that's not necessarily the a sports book saying we think the Chiefs are going to lose by three points. That's the sports book saying you know this is the line that we think is going to give us the best chance to for people to bet and, and make the most money. And well, how about although it is kind of uncanny how Vegas will get exactly the right thing <laughs> as is, as was the case last night in the over under. Yeah, I mean yeah. it was either it was forty seven and a half, forty six and a half, and yeah, it was right there. Obviously. Yeah, forty seven and a half, forty six and a half. <laughs> All, all week long. I think I got it at 47 and a half, and I did pick the under. Because mm. I, I truly believed that the Chiefs would – I thought the Chiefs were going to kill them. I didn't, really? I didn't expect I, – I mean, I, I fully expected the Chiefs to win, and I fully expected them to win by seven or eight uh, or, or, or uh, more than a touchdown. I, I was kind of expecting ten or more. Mm. But that's kind of how I am, too. I'm – pretty optimistic but uh it, it, it was uncanny though for vegas just getting it right i mean and but i but i picked the i was on the under because i just didn't think i thought that our defense would sh- shut san francisco out i was i was expecting them and they, i mean they shut listen, out maybe they, have maybe 10 points maybe they, they did a great job right christian mccaffrey 3.6 oh. yards per carry his lowest of the season i believe you know, Purdy was able to make a few plays, but uh, overall, not much. And then they had that one trick play that the, the trick play on the touchdown was actually defended pretty well, uh, but they just got kind of a, a, a fortunate block, good timing on a block to go score that touchdown. But yeah, I mean, that, that's that's been the Chiefs' MO, right? Has been shutting teams down. I mean, you go back to what they did against the Ravens and shutting down Lamar Jackson. And, and I, I got the sense that this game was probably going to be more of a struggle. I mean, I was, I was optimistic. I definitely wasn't optimistic that Chiefs were going to blow out the Niners, but. I, I did feel as though, listen, the Niners, you ain't you haven't seen a defense like like the Chiefs yet. This no, season. they hadn't seen no. a defense like the Chiefs yet this season. No, so, not at all. Yeah, but wow, I mean, it it was a great game. Uh, obviously, hurt a little bit this morning, but I, but I was I was up yeah. I was up at six o'clock. Were you? And oh. I couldn't and I couldn't go back to sleep because I was watching all the post game. Yeah, and and yeah. and I've re now probably rewatched the whole game at least once. So ha- have you? Let me ask you this: yeah. Have you have you gone to any of the the previous parades? Uh, the previous I, went the, parades? I went to the I went to the first I went to the Royals parade in twenty fifteen in twenty fifteen, and I I didn't go to any of the Chiefs parade because that was so it was just brutal to yeah. get in and out of there. Yeah, and I just and we parked. I mean, I parked two miles away. Um, I do think it's one of those things where you should definitely go once yes, just to say, yes, hey, should. I've been to one and it was awesome. But I I kind of agree with what you're saying, which is once you've been to one, nah, you know, after that. I, I, I do have an offer to go and, and be in a uh, a building that's on the parade route. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, it would. I just, you know, I would need to get downtown. You've got to get downtown so early. Yeah. So I, or, I went in uh, 2020 and, and, yeah, I think I got there like Six thirty or seven a.m. and obviously the parade didn't start till eleven. So and it was actually the first parade in twenty twenty. It was actually snowing and cold. And, oh, what uh, a beautiful day now! Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, now the, the forecast, of course, awesome for Wednesday is looking yeah fantastic. So, but no, yeah, like I said, I, I had a ton of fun. I ended up getting a pretty good spot, kind of near the end, where I was able to actually lean out and high five a couple players, and so it was a lot of fun. Oh, but, that's awesome! But you know, like I said, it is one of those things where now it's like. Nah, I'm good. You know, I don't. I don't need to necessarily experience it again. And once you've experienced the one, I think it's. And you can watch the whole thing on TV. Yeah. And you get to see the whole thing. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, we'll have that on at the brewery, and I'll have it on 
surround sound, so you can kind of hear what's going on. I'll probably put on channel nine. I'm ass- I'm assuming it's what the station that I'll put on, unless I I don't know. I I, I need to look around the three big or the four networks yeah. to see who I think might have the best coverage. But channel nine normally does a pretty good job. Um. Yep. Uh, but I like Mick Schaefer too, so might do Fox. I I, I just <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I I'll take your advice. Who who do you think I should play? Oh jeez. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you can really go wrong with any of them. I think you'll be yeah. fine regardless. They'll all, they'll all do a good job. Yeah. I, they'll, they'll all do a good job. It's yeah. just a matter of, yeah. So, like you said, the parade, it's uh, Wednesday. going to be on Wednesday. And as you said, the forecast, I think it's calling for 60 degrees and sunshine all day long. In yeah, City, it's so. just, it's incredible timing. Yeah. And and what, and isn't that, was in 20, uh, so, in wasn't it last year? Oh, no, for the Royals in 2015. Yeah. Two bad weather days back to back, but the day of the parade was incredible. Yeah, I remember that. It was like seventy, I think. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, we were in shorts, and I'm, well, I'm in shorts all the time. <laughs> but I mean, we, I, I took my kids. I mean, it was a big deal, fun. Took them out of school. Actually, yeah. they didn't have school that that day. They got got called off. But it was. Yeah, I, it was in awesome. 2020. I don't remember if KU canceled classes or not, but I didn't go. Well, <laughs> no, skipped, of course not. Skipped, skipped classes. Oh, and I Listen, didn't. I was, see a pretty, if, I was a pretty good student at KU. I didn't see game. if Mastery blew up last night. Did there were some people out there. Yeah, yeah, there were some people out there. It's a pretty good crowd okay. celebrating. I so. did. My, I did my uh, my best to blow up my neighborhood, <laughs> uh, or at least the neighborhood that I was watching a party in. We had <laughs> have a, had a few pyrotechnics after the. Oh, there after you go. The, nice. After the game, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, any any other uh, final thoughts here? We'll, t- we'll take a break. Uh, just, oh, any just thoughts from Super Bowl. You know, just incredible game, incredible. Uh, we're so blessed to have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, we really. And are. you know what? I I tell you, they've got to be the. I haven't checked the, my odds yet, but they've got to be the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year, right? Yeah, I mean, three Pete, man. Why not? Absolutely, Why not? no wow. question. But hey, thanks for letting me come on. And oh, of course. Talk all Chiefs. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. I'm sure I'll be doing the same on on Thursday. We'll talk Chiefs and. But yep. I would like to talk a little KU basketball too. Looking yep. forward to the game tonight against yep. Texas Tech, and and I I I, I think we're going to make it. I, I'm I'm excited to listen to your show the rest of the way and hear uh here you know Bill was not happy. Yeah, he yeah we, we're going to get to that. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to what Bill Self said later on in the show, and yeah, he if you if you didn't know the final outcome of the game, you might have thought that KU lost. Right. Based off his comments, so right. So, and, uh, and 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 I I feel bad for my boy Nick Timberlake. Yeah. I feel really bad because man, he he started off. I thought he started off the game so well. Yeah. But boy, it was a bad ending for Nick. Yeah, and one of the things that I've talked about with with Timberlake specifically is, uh, you know, even though he has struggled on the court, outwardly he's maintained a positive attitude. Outwardly he's maintained a, a team first attitude, which I think has been great for him amid these struggles. But but yeah, we'll we'll see what. Uh, and listen, KU's going to need him tonight, regardless, right? I mean, no Kevin yeah. McCuller again, probably. Dewan Harris. Social who knows? media is brutal yeah. on him. Any word if he's going to start tonight? Timberlake. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Well, it's kind of TBD. I mean, it, it will probably be him, either him or El Marco, uh, starting. And right. then, of course, with Dewan, we'll have to see what his status is as well. Oh. So, some some question marks certainly heading into the game, which we'll get to uh, coming up in the five o'clock hour, Matt. Matt Llewellyn from 23rd Street Brewery. Appreciate you coming on so much. Thanks, Thanks so much man. For your time. Thanks for having me. Yep, that's Matt Llewellyn. We're gonna, we are going to get to some more uh, basketball talk coming up next around the Big 12. We'll also get to our KU basketball takeaways from KU Baylor before we will dive into KU Texas Tech, as Matt just uh, kind of alluded to there, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and also going to hear from Bill Self. We'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up on 15 minutes in front of 5 o'clock here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to our preview of KU and Texas Tech. That game tonight, you'll be able to hear right here on KLWN. Pre-game at 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock on Big Monday for KU and Texas Tech. Did want to dive a little bit more into KU beating Baylor, though, on Saturday. 64-61, Kansas hangs on. And uh, Bill Self was not totally thrilled after the game. Uh, we'll hear from him later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well. But I uh, wanted to get to biggest takeaways of this game for KU. Start with the positives. Uh, I kind of touched on this towards the end of uh, the, the Open discussing this game. In a lot of ways, the biggest positive is that you just won at home, right? I mean, obviously, it maybe wasn't totally pretty at the end of the game, but getting that win at home, holding serve at home, so critical for Kansas at this point if they still want to make a push for the Big 12 title. And so it's almost one of those things where it's like you can't really, you almost can't really apologize for winning at home at this point if you're KU because you almost, it's almost a requirement that you go 9 0 at home the rest of the way uh, or finish, finish the season 9 0, I guess, at home in, in conference play. And so, I don't know. For me, that was just kind of maybe one of the biggest positives, just simply getting the win at home. I mean, you had to have it. You had to defend your home floor. And, yeah, maybe late in the game there was some there was some poor execution, but you hung on and, and you got the win. So uh, that, that was, I guess, good to see. Uh, beyond that, I think K.J. Adams was so good in this game for Kansas uh, against, uh, against Baylor. I mean, he, he was really doing it all. He was even asked to, to handle the ball. Late in the game when Dewan Harris went down with that rolled ankle. 36 minutes for KJ. 6 of 7 from the floor. Uh, he had 3 steals, 2 assists, 4 rebounds, 13 points. Uh, and he was just making great plays at both ends. I thought he played phenomenal defense and was was one of the most impressive players on the floor for Kansas. And obviously this was a game where you needed it, right? I mean, Kansas has one of the best starting fives in the country when everyone's healthy. But even when one of those guys goes down, as we know, the, the bench for Kansas... It, the production is, is not there or inconsistent. And so it just means that if you're one of the other four guys, you just have to pull even more. And I think KJ Adams really took that and that inspired him to play at the level that he played at against Baylor. Uh, so very, very impressive stuff from KJ Adams. Like I said, I, I think he was maybe the best player on the floor uh, for basically the whole game for Kansas. Uh, so that was really, really good to see. So 13 points for him again and, and a really, really positive performance from KJ Adams. And I also want to throw... Dewan Harris on there. I, I think Dewan Harris was a big positive in the game, hitting a couple threes. You know, if if, if Nick Timberlake is going to continue to struggle from three and Kevin McCuller is out, as it sounds like he's going to be again for Texas Tech tonight, the, the end result of that is you, you need somebody else to step up. You need somebody else to step up. And so seeing that, uh, seeing that Dewan did step up and listen, teams, it's, it's pretty clear. Teams are playing Dewan Harris very specifically in the sense of they are going to go under screens and they're going to give him those opportunities to shoot. Now the question becomes, does he continue to does he does he continue to take those shots and do defenses continue to play that way? Because if he's shooting at nearly 50% from three, you wonder if that'll force teams to switch it up. And that to me is where things could get really interesting. Because if you do see that, if you do see teams try to switch up their defense on Dewan Harris because he's able to hit threes. Man, that could really open up some opportunities for Hunter Dickinson off a of screen and roll things like that, and could free up uh, you know other ways to score. So, uh, really love to see Dewan Harris being aggressive from 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 uh, three point range. Went two of four from three in the game, finished with fourteen points. Uh, I know that uh, Henry Greenstein said he wanted to kill the 
Dewan Harris uh, when he scores in double figures stat that KU's like 90 and two or whatever. Uh, but listen, double figures in, in KU one. I don't know. Coincidence? Maybe not. He finished five of 12 from the floor, uh, had five assists, two steals in the game. And obviously, of course, I think beyond that, just the grittiness from Dewan to play through that rolled ankle late in the game. Uh, very, very impressive. You know, I, I wonder with situations like that where obviously that late in the game, I'm sure you're just kind of going off pure adrenaline and that kind of helped him come back into the game a little bit there towards the end. But you do have to worry about his status. And, and I, I had the thought almost, I had the thought almost of, you know, so he, he goes down with the ankle injury with around two minutes left. I almost had the thought of, oh man, even if he says he wants to go back in, I don't know that I would put him back in. Bill Self did ultimately put him back in, and I now reflecting back on it, I think it was probably the right decision because of the fact that when he was not on the floor, KU did not score, and they didn't have anybody to really initiate much offense, right? I mean, KJ Adams was the guy basically running the point when Dewan wasn't on the floor. So I think probably it, it was the right decision to put him back out there, uh, assuming it didn't cause more damage or hurt him more, which I I, I don't know, I guess we'll see, but... But uh, I think Dewan Harris definitely deserves a nod here for, for his play in the game as uh, he scored 14 points uh, in the game on a 5 of 12 shooting. So I thought Dewan Harris was, was a big positive as well. And I just think def- I think just think the defense in general deserves, deserves a shout out here for their for uh, being a big positive. You know, Baylor came into this game again as a top five defense or a top five offense, pardon me, in, in the in the country. And Kansas really locked him up, really locked him up. And when you're playing a team like Baylor, that has so many weapons that they can go to. It's it's a situation where it takes you know it takes a whole team it takes your whole team to be able to slow down an offense like that. And Kansas did a great job, forced twenty one turnovers. A lot of them were live ball turnovers uh, in the game. So the defense I I thought was was really really good in helping Kansas get this win uh, at home. Uh, I I'm gonna create a new category here. So normally we do you know biggest positives, biggest negatives, and so on and so forth. I'm going to create a, a middle category here. I think I think Nick Timberlake deserves his, his own special category of, of of positive and negative, I guess, because obviously the all of the attention was on kind of the execution or lack thereof in the last you know 90 seconds, 30 seconds of the game from from Nick Timberlake. But at the end of the day, he did do some positive things in the game that you hope maybe can can get him going in some way. You know, he hits a couple threes. Uh, it did finish two of seven from three, so he, he was he was he was shooting at least though, which is good to see. Uh, you know, hit, hit some threes, had a big block uh, as well, a big dunk in transition. So he he did some he did some positive things, but certainly the negatives obviously come into play when you talk about the fact that how things played out at the end of the game. And I I, I think if KU did end up losing this game in overtime, let's say Baylor is able to hit one of those three point shots, they tie it and they win in overtime. At that point, you would not be putting Nick Timberlake in the positive category. He would be going squarely in the negative category. But because of the fact that KU still still won despite some of his uh, issues that he had, uh, yeah, I think he deserves a little bit of a nod for some of the a few of the positive things that he did uh, in the game. And and, and again, you know, Furphy goes 0 of 6 from three. DeWan Harris steps up, and Timberlake also has to step up, especially with no Kevin McCuller. So, and and you know. I, I'd be, I would be really be curious to see exactly what the conversation was with Bill Self and Nick Timberlake after the game or, or what that was like because obviously publicly Bill Self was definitely very, very unhappy, but Bill's gonna have to rec- Bill has to also recognize, I think, that Timberlake is a guy you're, you're going to need again tonight against Texas Tech. So I don't, I don't know if you want to 
berate him so much and damage his confidence so much to where he he becomes ineffective against Texas Tech. But I would not be shocked. So obviously, El Marco started the game against Oklahoma State when Kevin McCuller couldn't play. Now, in this game against Baylor, you see Nick Timberlake start. I almost expect El Marco to start uh, against Texas Tech as sort of a uh, as sort of a message to Nick Timberlake, basically. Uh, I, you know, punishment's probably too strong of a term for it, but uh, I I do expect probably El Marco would be this would get the starting nod here. I, like I said, I am I am expecting that truly, with kind of how things played out late uh, in the game. But yeah, I don't know. I gave Nick Timberlake his own the Nick Timberlake category, the Nick Timberlake roller coaster experience, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'll put him in his own category there. On to the biggest negatives, and there were quite a few negatives also from this game, as evidenced by the fact that Bill Self was not thrilled. Uh, I think, I think honestly, the biggest negative is just injuries, right? Kevin McCuller unable to play, obviously. Learned that pregame. Uh, and then Dewan Harris gets an injury. I mean, that is brutal for Kansas. And, uh, and and it really comes at the worst possible time where you have this do quick where you do have this quick turnaround from going to to Baylor and then going on the road against Texas Tech. Yeah, the schedule not doing KU any favors, by the way. I mean, Texas Tech gets a home game against UCF and then gets to stay home to play on Big Monday. Meanwhile, KU has to come down to Lubbock after after playing on Saturday against Baylor. So, schedule not doing you any favors. But yeah, the the injuries, the timing of the injuries, I think was maybe the biggest negative of this game. No, Kevin McCuller. Uh, Dewan Harris rolling his ankle. We'll see about his status uh, going forward tonight. So uh, it's 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 not great. Uh, it seems like Dewan he's at shoot around, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what his status is. So injuries, I think, were probably the biggest negative. Uh, talked about this also on Friday is something that concerned me about Baylor, and it, and it did kind of come true. I think defensive rebounding was a pretty big negative here as well uh, in this game for for Kansas. Baylor ends up with 10 offensive rebounds. Their offensive rebound rate was pretty good, uh, just under 30%. Uh, so, yeah, the, the rebounding was an issue. Seven rebounds for Dickinson, four for KJ, five for Furfew, but KU got out-rebounded by 17 on the glass, 42-25. to 25. So I thought that was a big negative. Uh, again, I've, I've talked about it at length, but I especially for a home team, Offensive rebound, it can be a real killer. Uh, and I, I, it's, it was a big negative, but the fact that KU overcame it, I guess, is is a positive, really. But a big negative there. Kind of touched on Hunter. Hunter really struggled after the first half. Uh, so that was kind of a, a negative. To, that was a big negative, I think, to see him really struggle at the rim, something we haven't seen from him. Like I said, this was his worst game, really, efficiency-wise, uh, for KU so far this season. Just 7 of 19 from the floor. So that's a little bit concerning. For him, because that's now back-to-back games where he's he's been a little bit inefficient against against Kansas State. He was eight of eighteen, so really not that much better. And that seven of nineteen was by far his most inefficient game of the season. So you hope it's you hope it's just a blip on the radar, and, and he gets things going again, and and can be that dominant force inside. Because I, I think he definitely left some points on the board for KU down low in this game. So he was good early, but then struggled. I think especially in the second half. And Yves Misi, the center for Baylor, ended up having a great game against him. So, And then uh, lastly, the other the other big negative, kind of t- it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with Nick Timberlake, but just the late-game execution in general. Uh, listen, those are the types of situations where you lose in March, right? Those shots from Baylor, they go in in March. So the fact that you had that 
major gaffe in a late-game execution situation is not great. And you hear so many coaches talk about how much they do practice late-game situations, and I'm sure KU is going to be reemphasizing that, certainly, uh, after after this what happened in this game against Baylor. But that's a big concern, right? Because in March, that can and will end your season, truly. Uh, you, you see it happen all the time if you have poor late-game execution. So something to keep an eye on there uh, with, with, with what happened there. Uh, player of the game, I'm going to give it to KJ Adams. Like I said, I, I think he was the best player on the floor for basically the whole game. So I'll, I'll give KJ Adams the nod here for player of the game uh, in this one. Really, really great stuff from him, and they're going to need more from him. And and I, I don't know how he does it, really. I mean, his 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 body is just – he's like a tank. He's just He can just – he's the, the amount of the uh, physical abuse and, and just physicality that he seems to be able to withstand and just keep coming back for more – is very impressive, and uh, and they're going to need that again tonight against Texas Tech. So he had a fantastic game against Baylor, and hopefully that can carry over into this game on the road against the Red Raiders. He was my player of the game. Play of the game for me, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the Dewan Harris floater uh, to put KU up 64-59. Uh, ultimately ended up being basically the game-winning shot. I know, I know KU ended up winning by three, but... But uh, that was a big-time play from a big-time player, right? A guy who had literally needed help off the floor a few minutes before. And for him to come back in and not only just grit through that uh, that that injury, but then to make a big shot, a big shot late, uh, I think was probably the play of the game for me, was uh, was that shot from Dewan that gave KU a five-point lead, and they were ultimately able to hang on. Just barely, though. I mean, by the, by the skin of their teeth, they, they, they scrape out with a victory. So that's our KU basketball takeaways. And don't forget, KU, quick turnaround. Texas Tech tonight. We're going to preview that next in the 5 o'clock hour. Also have a chance to hear from Bill Self after uh, and hear his thoughts after the Baylor game. And, again, he definitely had quite a bit of interesting things to say. So we'll get to that audio later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Don't forget, KU, Texas Tech tonight. You can hear that right here on KLWN with your original home for the Hawks. 6.30 p.m. pregame, 8 o'clock tip on Big Monday, KU and Texas Tech. Let's dive deeper into that Texas Tech matchup coming up next. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. It's been a fun show so far, and the action continues here because KU, quick turnaround here from Saturday, defeating Baylor 64-61. to Quick turnaround straight into a game on Big Monday on the road in Lubbock against Texas Tech, and we'll preview that right now as that game tips off tonight at 8 o'clock. Pre-game, 6.30 right here on KLWN, your original home for the Hawks. So Texas Tech is 17-6 and overall. They are 6-4 and four in conference. They are coming off of a 66-59 win in Lubbock at home against UCF on Saturday. And that stopped a three-game losing streak for them. They had lost three in a row before that, uh, before that happened uh, in Big 12 play. They went and lost at TCU. Then they lost against Cincinnati at home. And then lost against Baylor on the road 79-73. That Baylor-Texas Tech game was a bit weird. They lose by six, but they were down 15. It was 72 to 57, uh, near the under four. And Baylor just kind of thought they had the game won and gave up. And so Texas Tech ended up coming back and make that a lot, making that game a bit more closer than it maybe was. Uh, but then Texas Tech gets a win against UCF. 
kind of a back and forth game against UCF. Texas Tech was the team mainly in the lead most of the game, though, so they really just kind of controlled to a win. By the way, 59 points for Texas for UCF against Texas Tech. That's tied for the lowest they've allowed in conference so far. And interestingly enough, you know, we talk about Baylor being such a great offense uh, so far this season. Well, interestingly enough, Texas Tech is actually in Big 12 conference only play. They've been the best offense. They've been the best offense in the conference. They've been the best three-point shooting offense in the conference in Big 12 only play at 40%. Their effective field goal percentage at 54% is number two in the conference. And they've done a good job of taking care of the ball as well. They're number two in the conference in turnover percentage in terms of only 15%, so pretty low. But their defense has been pretty poor. And I find that interesting because obviously this is, you know, Texas Tech has been known probably for better, more defense than offense recently. And now they have first-year head coach Grant McCaslin under them. Uh, and so far in conference play, it's been the opposite. The offense has been pretty good. The defense has been really bad. Uh, I mentioned rebounding was a big issue for Kansas against against Baylor. Well, Texas Tech, they've been a pretty bad rebounding team really all season long. They are on the bottom third of the country in defensive rebound percentage. Uh, and their offensive rebound percentage has been has been, been okay. It's been average. In conference-only play, it's been not very good. They're 10th. But they are dead last in the conference in giving up offensive rebounds. So this should be a game where KU hopefully might have an advantage there on the glass against Texas Tech. When you look at them individually, they do have some pretty good scoring guards. Uh, Pop Isaac should be a guy, should be a name that KU fans are familiar with. Uh, he actually made four threes and scored 18 points against KU uh, last year in Lubbock. So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, they've also got Joe Toussaint, a transfer, who's been pretty good for them. And then uh, the other storyline for for Texas Tech coming into this game is Warren Washington, their seven-foot center, he was out against Baylor. I believe he was sick. Uh, but he came back against UCF and ended up scoring 10 points in that game uh, for, for Texas Tech. And he's at seven foot. He's a transfer from Arizona State. Uh, he's he's a he's a very much traditional five-man. In fact, he hasn't attempted a three all this season. So I think that's good news for Hunter Dickinson matchup-wise because we've seen Dickinson struggle against uh, fives that can stretch the floor and step out and hit shots. That's not Warren Washington. That's not his style at all. This is going to be very much a low post game. And I just got done talking about uh, you know one of my biggest negative negative takeaways from the Baylor game was the fact that Hunter Dickinson was really inefficient at the rim and struggled sort of uh, to score buckets that we're used to seeing him hit in the Baylor game and kind of similarly hit in the K-State game as well. So hopefully he can get that corrected, but he, he's going to be tested probably down low with uh, with Washington, the big seven-footer, a guy that, uh, that he'll be matching up with down low. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, as he came back from uh, that sickness and, and play, ended up playing 30 minutes against UCF, so it seems fine and good to go uh, for, for Texas Tech tonight. And uh, this is interesting. This this game against Kansas for Texas Tech, this starts a what I would what I think is a pivotal three-game stretch for Texas Tech that will probably determine their fate in the Big 12. So you look at the standings. Houston at 8 and 3, Iowa State at 7 and 3, Kansas at 7 and 4, then you have Baylor at 6 and 4 and Texas Tech at 6 and 4. Oklahoma 6 and 5, BYU 5 and 5, TCU 5 and 5. And you look at Texas Tech's next three games, including tonight. Kansas tonight at home. Then they play Iowa State on the road on Saturday. And then they get TCU at home. So that's a team in Kansas that is currently one game ahead of them. Iowa State, who's also one game ahead of them. And then TCU, who is one game behind them, but you know a, a comparable team, I would think. If you're Texas Tech, and you can somehow find a way to go two and one, especially maybe if you 
can somehow either win tonight or win against Iowa State on Saturday, you could suddenly talk yourself into Texas Tech being a team that could be a serious contender coming down the stretch here for the Big 12 title. Again, they're sitting at 6-4 and four right now, but it's, it's not so much about these three games that they have coming up. It's about the rest of the schedule after that for them. Their final three road games are against UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. Their final two road game, their final two home games after this three-game stretch against Kansas, Iowa State, and TCU are Texas and Baylor. Those are all very, very winnable games for them. So they are in a position where I think they this this could legitimately kick off either them potentially making a push for the Big 12 title or them officially being a mid-tier team basically in the conference. And it, and it certainly starts tonight with them against Kansas. And you know they're going to be jacked up. You know they're going to be juiced up to take on Kansas as as everyone is. So I, I don't know. That's that'll be something to keep an eye on with Texas Tech, especially if they find a way to win tonight or on Saturday against Iowa State, or both. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. But yeah, so Pop Isaacs is their leading scorer. He's the guy to keep an eye on. He's also their highest volume shooter. Although percentage wise, he has not really been that great so far this season. He's sitting at thirty two percent from three on the season, even though he's by far their uh, their guy that attempts the most threes. He's attempted one hundred seventy four threes. This season at just uh, just under thirty just under thirty three percent, so almost thirty three percent. But one hundred seventy four threes. The next highest on the team is Chance McMillan, who's attempted one hundred thirteen threes. So he has been putting up a lot of shots uh, for Texas Tech this season, averaging sixteen point nine points per game. I mentioned Joe Tucson as well, another guard that's a uh, twelve points per game, twelve point seven points per game. Uh, he's not so much of a shooter, thirty one percent from three. The main shooters to keep an eye on are going to be. Isaacs, who again is a volume shooter, hasn't necessarily been hitting a lot, but he he what he did hit in this building against uh, against KU last season at the United Supermarkets Arena. Chance McMillan is the guy to keep an eye on, probably 113 three point attempts, 43 percent from three, and then uh, Kerwin Walton, a guy who's been off the bench and has started some games for Texas Tech on 76 attempts this season, so not as many, not as much volume. He's at 54 percent from three so far this season. Is Kerwin Walton. Uh, So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And he got the start against UCF, played 30 minutes, and went 4 or 5 from 3 in that game against against UCF. So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on from the perimeter in this game uh, for Texas Tech. And when you look at their guards for Texas Tech, they are a bit smaller. And I mentioned that Marco Jackson, I think, would probably get the start tonight over Nick Timberlake, assuming Dewan Harris is also going to be starting. Uh, just because I, I think maybe there could be a message being sent there, possibly. But beyond that, I actually think from a matchup standpoint, it, this this might not be as bad for Kansas uh, with with Kevin McCuller out because they have smaller these guards are a little bit smaller, and so El Marco actually could be a decent matchup there for KU. But again, the problem is uh, I would not be surprised at all if Texas Tech is looking to try to get switches and attack Johnny Furphy, as a, as some teams have done. Although Furphy's defense has been better as of late, uh, so that that could be a matchup to keep an eye on as well. In terms of the in terms of the importance of this game for Kansas, this would be a very big, very big road win for Kansas to say the least. I mean, and these are the types of games that Bill Self wins, right? Backs backs against the wall. You've got players out. You're going to be shorthanded certainly for this game on the road. They just find a way to win. So it's a very, very important game for Kansas to stay trying to stay pace with with Houston, right? In a week where Houston doesn't play, that Houston could they don't play this week. That that actually could still lead to them picking up a game on Kansas. If Kansas drops this one against Texas Tech, and 
if if you're Kansas, I think you, you got to find a way to fight through this game. Hopefully, get Kevin McCuller back potentially for Saturday against Oklahoma, or 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 again, you know, Kansas has that they play Oklahoma on Saturday, then they don't play another game until the following Saturday against Texas. And if if maybe if Kevin McCuller still can't go for Oklahoma, maybe you have a chance to give him, you know, basically over two we- almost three weeks of rest essentially, uh, if he's unable to go. But yeah, this is a game where you just got to make it ugly. And I think and Bill Self talked about this after Baylor, which we'll get to the audio here in just a few minutes about to about playing the game at a slower pace and whatnot. And and I think that's probably going to be a similar strategy in this game for Kansas is to just make it ugly, just make it. Uh, Make it a, a boxing match in a phone booth and try to try to try to make it an ugly game, and that probably gives them their best chance to win when you are so short-handed. But again, that that's going to require you to expend a lot of energy, and when you have a bench that is very very thin and one that you can't rely on either, really regularly, it is a, it is a it is a bit concerning. So, but yeah, this would be a very important game for Kansas. Uh, the thing that Texas Tech does. The best that is concerning. I think you probably have to look at three-point shooting at this at this point. Uh, you know, we talked about Baylor being a pretty good three-point shooting team. They ended up only going eight of twenty-six from three in the game. Texas Tech has been really good in conference play. They're coming off a game against UCF where they didn't shoot the ball great from three as a team. They were just thir- they were just seven of twenty-one from three, and four of those threes came from Corwin Walton. So if you eliminate him, they were three of. 3 of 16 from 3 besides Walton. So coming off of not one of their better three-point shooting performances in conference. But that's probably what concerns me the most. That or just the fact that they're going to have more depth to throw at Kansas and maybe wear Kansas down. Uh I think is a concern as well because they don't they don't particularly rebound the ball well like like Baylor did. Like I said, I, I think in that game against Baylor, I was looking more at the rebounding as being a bigger factor than I think three-point shooting, which ended up sort of Coming true, basically, but you you look at you look at what else they do. They've been pretty good at not turning the ball over offensively. They have not been good at forcing turnovers defensively. So, if you're Kansas, you know you'd like to be able to take care of the ball and and maybe if you can force Texas Tech into some mistakes, turning the ball over a little bit. But yeah, I think you have to look at three point shooting with a guy like Pop Isaacs, with a guy like Kerwin Walton, with a guy uh, like Toussaint. If those guys get going, you could be running into some problems. You could be running into some problems uh, in that game. In terms of matchups to watch, I am I am pretty excited for Hunter Dickinson against Warren Washington. I think that'll be a fun matchup to keep an eye on, and I think it's one that should favor Hunter Dickinson at both ends of the floor. I don't think Washington is a particularly polished, uh, you know, with a lot of post moves type player, uh, so I think that would favor Hunter Dickinson. And uh, yeah, so real quick, we'll also let's hit our KU game picks real quick here. Also, before we uh, get to that Bill Self audio. KU in this game against Texas Tech, they are three and a half point underdogs. Texas Tech favored by three and a half. Uh, I mean, I I I always pick Kansas. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Kansas here again, uh, plus a three and a half. Uh, I'm not confident that KU is gonna win this game. I think it's gonna be a very very difficult game for KU. But I I think if they are going to win or if they are going to to have a shot, they'll need to keep it close. And if they do, I think they'll be in good shape to possibly cover that number. So I'll take Kansas plus the points here. Over-unders, 143.5. That seems a bit high. I know I just got done saying that Texas Tech's defense has been pretty bad in conference play. But uh, that number seems a bit high for me. So I'm going under 143.5 on the total. And I then for my favorite prop pick, 
I kind of like Johnny Furphy here, 11 and a half points. You know, he's he's gone ice cold from three. Now the last two games, when you go back to K-State plus Baylor, I like him to maybe bounce back in this game. I'll take Johnny Furphy over 11 and a half points. I also like KJ Adams at 13 and a half points, but I, I don't know. KJ, KJ does so much. He's, he does so much other stuff that I don't, I'm a little nervous about possibly taking uh, KJ. So I'll go with Johnny Furphy over uh, 11 and a half here for this game. Uh, that's our KU Texas Tech preview for here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, we're going to get to some Bill Self audio coming up next. And you'll be able to hear that KU Texas Tech game tonight right here on KLWN. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30 and tip-off at 8 o'clock on Big Monday for KU and Texas Tech. We'll take a timeout. Bill Self Audio post-Baylor coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCSD podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD podcast presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.